The, the word there for him to be struck dead was that there was a place of outbreak against him. And so when we meet David in this part of 1 Chronicles, he's angry, he's confused, he doesn't understand, he thought he's doing a good thing, bringing the Ark of the Covenant back, and his friend struck dead, and he's, he's pretty angry at God. And then we get to the, the next chapter, chapter 14, and now he's in a battle with the Philistines. But he does something different this time than he did in chapter 13. He actually, in the famous Bible words, inquires of the Lord. He asks God. And the Bible says that God gave him a great victory. And then that same word comes through. The place where he has this victory is called the place of breakthrough. And I love this word breakthrough. You know, most of us don't just need a trickle. We need some kind of breakthrough in our life. I, I like some of the definitions of breakthrough. It's a military offensive that penetrates an enemy's lines. We think about an amazing scene on D-Day when the American forces penetrated those lines. A loss of a lot of lives, but the penetration changed the course of the war. And so we think about breakthrough. Tonight I want to give you some really practical tools for breakthrough. Because I don't know about you, but spiritually I feel like often I just repeat the same mistakes and do the same things over and over. And God's not always breaking through. I'm not like I'm listening to Him. And so I want to give you some simple shapes over the next couple of nights. You know, name some companies that you don't even have to see their name to know the company when you just see the shape of their logo. Apple, good. What's that? Nike, Samsung, McDonald's, even, you know, the new Target stores. It doesn't say Target anymore. It's just got the Target. So, so what we're trying to create are some memorable shapes that you can go back to. And that actually could be a common language in your church. You, you might talk about what we're going to talk about later, the identity triangle or the Cairo circle or how you encourage somebody with the building blocks. And I know it sounds sort of silly, but it becomes memorable. My favorite role in my life is I'm now a, seven times a grandfather. And my, my grandkids call me grandbuddy. Is that not the all-time greatest grandfather name? It's got to be. And so you know, when, when my first two were really young, Taze and George, they were almost the same age from different mothers, obviously. And um, while they would be raised, every time they would come to Montgomery, every time I'd go to New York or go to Huntsville to see them, I would always take them Pop-Tarts. So we, we, we decided we liked strawberry Pop-Tarts and blueberry Pop-Tarts, and that was just a big deal. And so some way in the middle of it, though, I started making fun of cherry Pop-Tarts because I made a mistake once in Baltimore. And I just told them, those are the grossest things you've ever seen. Here. With no cherry Pop-Tarts, you know. They couldn't hardly say mom or daddy, and they could say no cherry pop And we would throw them in the trash can, and we'd stomp them and talk about awful they felt. And so every time, you know, we'd go somewhere, we'd laugh about cherry Pop-Tarts. All I'd have to say was one word on the phone or FaceTime, and they're going to laugh, cherry Pop-Tarts. And so my granddaughter now, Lila, calls me Grandbuddy Cherry Pop-Tart, Okay. The other day was her birthday, or my birthday, and she's singing happy birthday to grandbuddy Cherry Pop-Tart. But the bad thing is she also went to her other grandparents' birthday, and she's saying happy birthday to grandbuddy Cherry Pop-Tart to them, which, thank goodness they couldn't hear good. But they it, it, were always using this. In fact, they got so into it. One day, Taze is out in his cozy coop. He's about three years old, and there's a little girl in his cozy coop with him, and he's wanting to be funny, and so he turns to her and says, Cherry Pop-Tarts. <laughs> 
And she just doesn't react. And he just does it. And she looks at him. Are you an idiot? Just bringing up cherry pop tarts with nothing. So we know some things can get with us that sort of stick to us, you know. And that's what we're going to try to do with some of these shapes. Is to, is to have something that becomes a part of your vocabulary, a part of how you talk, a part of how you help each other, even spiritually. Start off with me in Mark chapter 1. Verses 14 and 15, where Jesus is talking about the ultimate breakthrough, which is the birth of the kingdom of God. And Jesus says in Mark chapter 1, look at verse 14. Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of, of God. The time has come and the kingdom of God has come near repent and believe the good news. Now, in other words, the breakthrough is the reign, the rule of God happening. But the word there that's come to mean a lot to me is the word there for time. Like so many different words, the Greeks have more words for it than us. And so when it comes to the word time, there's chronos time, which is what you keep on your watch or your phone and what I'm sure you're keeping up with in the next few minutes, is that's chronological time. There's another Greek word that's eon, which means forever, just goes on forever, which you might feel that in the next hour. But the word used here is kairos. And kairos is a, a moment that presents an opportunity. It's just that moment that passes by you, and either you get it or you don't. But back in Jesus' day, it was used for a bow hunter, and if a an animal would pass between two trees. The kairos moment was the moment when the animal would pass between the two trees. And you can't get it back. Now, one of the greatest confessions of my life, and maybe of your life, is I have missed too many moments. You ever said that? And I look back, I just turned 60 years old, and I look back, how many moments have I missed where I should have been there? It especially hits me when my wife is talking about things that happened in the past. Maybe a story, Kelly and I uh, and our families worked together in Tuscaloosa years ago. And Stephanie will be telling a story from old campus ministry days. She'll remember the temperature in the room, the color of the carpet, who was there and what they were wearing. And I just always sit there and think, was I there? I mean, really, I, I couldn't have been there. She, she remembers those moments. And I missed too many of those moments. I remember when I moved to Pensacola, there was a lady in our church I didn't know a whole lot about, but she was pretty powerful in the Chamber of Commerce. And she called me one day and said, I've arranged for you to go fly on one of the Blue Angels. Well, I, I just didn't really know Blue Angels were such a big deal. I mean, it's pretty ignorant. And so, you know, I had an appointment. So I said to her, I said, I'm sorry, I've got an appointment. I, I'm just going to have to do that. I never got that offer again. You know what I mean? That would have been so cool to fly with the Blue Angels. And guys, we have so many moments like that that either we grab or we don't, especially moments with God where God is trying to speak to us. God's trying to work with us. He's trying to, to do something. And so this Kairos moment is that moment of opportunity. It's a window for God to work in my life. So in your book list, turn to what's called the learning circle, okay? And we're going to skip over some of these. We may not hit all of them over the next two nights, but I want to hit the most important. And, and this one is my very favorite and been the most life-changing for me. Because you know that God is always speaking. 
The question is, are we listening? And this learning circle is, is used to help you see that. Now, you can see that in the sheet in front of you. Now, you, you've got chronological time in those dotted lines going across. That's, that's the way most of us live life. And we're just, we're just sort of flying through life from one moment to the next. Now, the idea here is where that X is, is that's the moment where you stop and you go around the circle and you listen to what God's trying to say to you. And it, it's such a critical point because it's where you're going to learn. You, you see, on one side of the circle there in the center is hearing. On the other side of the circle is doing. And, and so what you want to do is, let's say an event happens in your life. We'll talk about some of these events in just a moment. You know, where you observe what happened. It gets your attention. It could be something that made you glad. It could be something that made you mad. It could be something that made you sad. But normally it's something like, it gets your attention. And, and where normally you would just fly by, you go, why am I so mad right now? Observe what's going on. Reflect on your reaction. Bring some other people in to discuss it. So that, that's the part. Okay, what is God saying to me? And then the left side is, okay, together we learn better in community. Let's come up with a plan. And, and after we have the plan, I'm going to give you accountability. I'm going to give you permission to ask me what I did with this. And then after that, I walk out of the circle and I begin to act different. So I love the concept here of what's going to happen. So to enter the learning circle, let's, let's talk about this word stop and how we, how we slow down. There's a great passage in Job that says, when the storms of life come, why do they come? So that men may stop their work and see my mighty hand. Now, let's be honest. We're at a great disadvantage of this, aren't we? Because of the pace of life that we live. We don't have as many Kairos moments as God wants us to have because I'm too busy just flying through life. I, I love um, John Ortberg, one of my favorite authors. And in one of his books, The Life You Were Always Meant to Live, The Life You Always Wanted to Live, he talks about a certain sickness. He calls it hurry sickness. Anybody ever read that? And he said, most Americans have hurry sickness. And that's why we miss out on God. But he actually gives some tests of how, how to know. And, and one of the tests is this. If you're driving up to a red light and there's four lanes, two lanes on your side and two lanes on the other, and there are two cars on your side of the road, you've got hurry sickness. If the light is red and the two cars are there, you try to figure out the year-making model of each car to determine which is going to take off the quickest. Anybody ever do that? I do it every day, all right? And then I love this other illustration. She says when you go to the grocery store and you're getting your items, you go get all your items, you come up to the checkout line. He says, first of all, you have hurry sickness if you count the number of people in each aisle. How many do that? Raise your hand. Stay awake with me, okay? It's 9.15. And he says, you've got sickness even worse if not only you count the number of people in each aisle, but you count the number of items in each basket. How many of you got that one? Okay, we're still pretty sick. He says, you're even more sick if you count the number of people in each aisle, the number of items in each basket, and once you've chosen your aisle, you keep up with where you would have been if you got in another aisle. <laughs> How many are sick? Okay? So that's the way we live life. And so we're just, we're just flying through. And um, that's why we got to stop. I've got to learn to stop. And then the T for stop there is to 
slow down, and then to take notice. Now, let me give you some things that can be Kairos moments. And I'll give you illustrations from my life over just the last few years. A Kairos moment can be a challenge. You know, you're, you're trying to, to put something together in your mind. A challenge that happens from something. You know, I, I'm a minister. I, I do quite a few funerals. And it seems like over the last four or five years, that's been a real Kairos moment for me. Because I hate impersonal funerals, so I do a lot of research. And I meet with the family, and I ask lots of questions. And by the time I get up to, to oversee so many of these funerals, man, I've got all these incredibly great stories about people. People go to my church, and I think, I wish I'd known this before. You know, I, I, and what I'm convicted about, what the Kairos moment for me was there, is I need to learn to appreciate people while they're living. Just slow down. Notice them. Ask, why am I waiting to ask the question to find out about their past? Uh, another way, another Kairos moment can be a conflict. I mean, those are some of the moments where God gets your attention. I can remember when my wife and I were living in Tuscaloosa, and I was in campus ministry there, and I just loved campus ministry too much. And you understand. You've been there. And so, man, you know, campus, you can do college students all day long. I mean, you start in the morning, they're out, you know, they don't go to class. I mean, you, you can meet with them at night. And so, you know, we had met, we had just gotten married when we moved to Tuscaloosa. You know, by this moment, we now have three children. And I remember coming home late one night from work, and my wife was sitting on the couch, and she was visibly angry. And she said, buddy, I know this to be true. You're having an affair. You are, you are having an affair. And I'm like, I mean, you're off your rocker. I, you know, I, I do some bad stuff, but that's not one of them. I'm not, you do the research, do anything you want to. And I, she kept, nope, you are. She just was insistent. And finally, when she saw me get visibly angry, she said, yes, you are having an affair. You're having an affair with your job. Whew. That was a Kairos moment, guys. That's the moment you go, okay, I've got to stop here. I've got to make some lifestyle changes so that I'm a good husband and I'm a good dad. So you have those moments where there's conflict. Another time for a Kairos moment is in the middle of crisis. If you go through like an identity crisis in your life or a job crisis, you know, I mean, I can connect. One of my crises in my life was, was after I was charged with this, that affair. And a couple of years later, uh, we moved to Pensacola, Florida, where my first preaching job was. And one of the major reasons we moved was because I didn't hardly know how to do campus ministry different. And we needed a reset. And so, so we went there and, um, you know, thank goodness there was a, a marriage counselor on, on staff there. And we got great marriage counseling and worked through some things. But I'm going to tell you, after being a campus minister and right, I was bored stiff. And my identity was, was shook up because I thought of myself, my self-definition was I am the campus minister of the University of Alabama. I know for you guys that probably doesn't mean much. But where I'm from, that means something. And so, so to be in the foreign country of Florida and to be preaching and not around students all day, it was like, man, I had to fall on my face before God and say, God, my identity's come from my job and not from you. And you've had those moments. It may be a moment of confusion. I mean, it's pretty difficult to not be confused in the day we live. 
I mean, especially when you see the, the, the incredible change of moral values going on. And sometimes you watch TV and you hear all this stuff and you hear all, and you think, are we wrong? Are we wrong about this marriage issue? Are we wrong? And, and to me, that's been a great Kairos moment to say, you know what? I just really believe God. And I'm in trust the scriptures. And that's the way I'm going to walk. And that's what I'm going to preach. Because that's proven. This culture we live in is pretty unproven. Or then it could be a moment of clarity. You ever been reading a, a scripture and just the middle of that scripture, you know, you, you have this moment, you, you notice something you have never seen before? I can remember the moment I was reading 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4, where Paul says, These are the things of first importance. That for someone who grew up in the church of Christ, and you grew up in the church of Christ, why were those radical words? Because we were taught that everything was of first importance, okay? And if we were drawing it out, every theological, doctrinal issue was a matter of first importance. And so one reason we were so divided is because every time we disagreed on one of those, we had to go start a new church because you couldn't disagree on anything. Because they were all of first level importance. And then I'm reading Paul, and Paul says, let me tell you guys, here's the things of first importance. It's the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And what Paul is implying there is that there are other things of secondary importance. Change the way I looked at Scripture. Redefine what I believe the gospel was. Because Paul said, this is the gospel. So you have those moments of just clarity. You have those moments of celebration. For most of us who, who have children, the birth of a child is just one of those incredible moments. I can remember the birth of our first child, Laura, thinking, for the first time in my life, I've got an ounce of a clue of how much God loves me. And you've been there. So you, so you look over there and, and you, you, begin, you begin to take notice. In the middle of taking notice, you're able to overcome strongholds. What's a stronghold in the Bible? A stronghold is a fortified place. It, it, it's, it's a hole that you've fallen into over and over again. So much that it's begun to be, you know, something that you can't get out of. And see, one reason I think we struggle with so many strongholds is because we fly through these moments. You see, I, I could have flown through that moment with my wife and said, you know, she's just being overreactionary. Or I can stop and go, I need to look at myself. You can get angry in your home and go, you know, every once in a while I just sort of lose my temper, you know. And, and so you get angry and you feel guilty about it, but you just fly by it. You never stop and walk around the circle. You never reflect on why it happened. You never look into your heart. You never discuss it with somebody else. You just go through and you might go even in that moment, Lord, help me not to get angry like that again. But you do. Or, or maybe it's like pornography. You know, you, you look at it and man, you feel so guilty in that moment. And then you say, God, I'm never going to use my phone that way again. And, and you just, and you think, but the truth is you didn't stop enough to listen to God. You didn't stop enough, long enough to come up with a plan of action. You didn't slow down enough to change. And so, though you felt so guilty and in that moment you think, I will never view it again. It's a week later, you're back again. 
So I believe these Kairos moments are moments that help us to overcome those strongholds in our life. You know, the, you, you overspend and you can't pay off your credit cards. And so you get them down and then you go back and do it again. And that's what I love about this. Because if you're like me, I live in such a hurry and so busy, I don't necessarily learn the lessons God's trying to teach me. So what can happen is you can have some what I call perpetual breakthrough. Where you're going through life, something happens, you stop, you walk around the circle, and you come out different. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you guys, we're small enough to ask, I'd like to ask you guys some of your Kairos moments. I'm going to tell you some I've just had recently. Um, one was, I went back to Pensacola after 22 years to conduct a funeral for a man named Paul Schrader. And uh, Paul had been our across-the-street neighbor. Um, they moved to Pensacola the same week we moved to Pensacola. And they showed up at Gateway the same Sunday we showed up at Gateway. And uh, we just became great friends with them. We hosted small group together. They were an older couple. We were pretty young at that point, And they were like grandparents to our children. Um, she actually would send four of my shirts off every week to be pressed so I'd look good on Sunday. I didn't know all churches didn't do that. And um, so we, we, but one of the first weeks there, I baptized Mr. Paul. He's just a great man. And so, you know, we, we moved to Montgomery a few years later. And I mean, they, they probably through the year, they've been at every one of our children's kindergarten graduation, uh, college graduate, high school graduation, any showers. I went and did a retreat in San Diego once, and Paul Schrader flew out there with me to the men's retreat. He dominated the retreat. I mean, he's just one of these. These ex-Marine men with a lot of vigor and vim and just an encourager, man. If you're leading a small group with him and somebody would say something significant, he'd just like, that is so great. I know you can do it. I mean, just amazing man. And so, you know, we just, we just loved this couple. They were like grandparents to our children. I remember my daughter saying after he died, said, um, you know, Mr. Paul was more of a grandfather to us than our, our grandfather's. They were just those kind of special people. And I knew a little bit about his past, but not until his funeral did I really learn about it. 13 years old, he was born out of wedlock to a single mother, obviously. She marries an alcoholic when he's, you know, just about three years old. Mother turns into an alcoholic, grows up in a very abusive family. He then joins the Marines just to get away. Becomes a very successful Marine scarred by deployments in Korea and in Vietnam. So by the time he's back in the States at a very young age, he's an alcoholic. He flies through two marriages. He, have, he has children who don't want anything to do with him, didn't even show up for his funeral. I didn't know this story until his wife gave me these pages where he'd handwritten something called My God Story. He talks about two angels that he meets. First of all, he's 62 years old. He's living in West Virginia. He's stone cold drunk one night. It's a cold wintry night. It's 2 a.m. He falls out in the middle of a highway in the snow. A young man in a pickup truck happens to see him, picks him up, and says, if you will promise me to stop drinking, I will take you to this rehab center. Well, he takes him to the VA rehab center, and in eight weeks, he kicks it and never drinks another drop. That was angel number one. 
Angel number two, he starts going to the gym to get himself in shape. He's 62 years old. He sees this woman. This is Miss Polly. And he begins to flirt with her. But she just sort of doesn't pay much attention. One day he looks her in the eyes and says, I could look in your eyes for the rest of my life. And she says, why don't you try? <laughs> well, they end up getting married. They come to Pensacola. That's when he was baptized. Incredible moment. And never forget in that building, a gateway, there's no wind, there's no light. So when someone's baptized, the baptistry real high. They cut off all the lights. There's just spotlights on the baptistry. And so I, I took him down, and you come right straight back up. He looked over in the audience and saw Miss Polly and blowed her a kiss. He was just that kind of man. And so by the time I'm asking everybody about him, and what I've experienced, he's probably the most positive, encouraging man that I know. And now I know his past. And I'm thinking sometimes I struggle with life. Sometimes I'm not so positive. Sometimes I look at the best, the worst part of life. Sometimes I nitpick the negative. And in my Kairos moment, there was, if that man could overcome his past, <laughs> Buddy Bell, what is your excuse? That was a great moment. I left that funeral changed. And then it didn't last long enough. So about a month later, I was speaking um, in Tuscaloosa and real close to the campus minister there. And uh, so so like going back home. And uh, we've been having some struggles at church and some staff issues and just some different stuff. And so my, my friend Preston says, well, well, you know, buddy, how are you doing? Because we're, we're pretty close. And I just started saying, you know, I'm a little down about this and this and this has happened. And I'm uh, I'm sort of an obsessive thinker, you probably can't call it that yet. And so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm obsessing about this issue, you know, and church is not going, you know. and uh. So I'm expecting some sympathy. And this young man, he's 27 years old, looks at me and says, Buddy, I hope you're not offended by this, but you need to repent. Oh, my goodness. He says, the way you're thinking is not full of faith. You know I love you. Man, I had a great two-hour ride home from Tuscaloosa to Montgomery. Me and God had about an hour and a half long talk. I cried. I repented. See, I, I talked to God about some of these things before, but I'd always say, God, you know, I, I wish I didn't think this way, Lord. I, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, you know, I'm obsessed with this, Lord. I, help me do a little bit better. But I had never really gone and just said, God, I repent. The way I think about our church and numbers, the way I think about this and that, it's just really not right. And then I had another Kairos moment where the kid who grew up at our church goes to school off and he'd come home one day and this guy had just been like a magnet school straight A student, gone off to Troy to school, God went down there, you know, he's a sophomore leading the campus ministry, great speaker, wants to be a preacher. He's going to come do an internship with me this summer. And so we've been trying to eat lunch, you know, and, and so we, we, we were talking a little bit. And, you know, one day I, I just said to him, I said, man, how does, how does Satan get at you? And he just started confessing some sin to me. And so we got in my car to go back after lunch, and, and I said to him, I'm just going to make up a name. I said, Frank, I said, I'm... Um, you need to let me love on you today. And Frank, I want to tell you something. You're not giving yourself any grace. 
How would you treat someone who came to you about this? You'd say, man, because you've been guilty about this for weeks. You've asked God for forgiveness over and over again, man. You need to give yourself the same grace you give to other people. That's what you preach, man. I've heard you preach. You preach it, but you're not allowing it for yourself. There's a kid that just, I mean, he just has achieved athletically, academically, everything he does. And sort of a perfectionist family he's been raised in. And like I say, he just broke down because no one had ever just said, it's, it's okay that you're not perfect. God's grace is for you, man. Now, here, here's what happened to me, though. I walked that scene thinking, you know what? I'm just as guilty. I love to preach the grace of God. I love our church because we accept anybody with any problem. You can confess anything on our front row and you'll be loved and you'll be embraced. And you'll be helped. But you know what? My screw-ups, I don't forgive very well. And so part of that two-hour ride back from Tuscaloosa was, Lord, I need to repent of this. But God, probably even more importantly tonight, i got to accept your grace for me. i got to forgive myself. And i got to take this crazy pressure that I live under every day off me. And God, I repent of that because I act like I'm in charge of this church. And I bear that responsibility. And it's not my church, it's your church. And so God, I am going to hand it back over to you. Now, Lord, here's what I'm saying to you. I'm not going to become some spiritual goof-off. I'll do anything you ask me to do. But God, from now on, it's going to have to be spirit-led. Because I've done everything I can on my own. Now, that may sound not significant to you, but that I have been different for two months. And it was those three moments, Kairos moments. You know, I could have said, Preston, who are you to tell me to repent? You know what I mean? I could have said, you know, yeah, he's got a problem with grace. I don't. I mean, but, but when you stop, help me out here a minute. What, what are some Kairos moments you may have had recently? Anybody have one you, just, you, you can share just when you know God? Got one, Sonny? Yeah. Um, it just happened the other day. Brother Randolph passed away. Yeah. No, Kenneth Randolph. He was the dean of students at college when I was there. Right. And uh, he gave me a Bible, and he wrote on the inside cover. And uh, I was telling one of my students about it. I was telling him about him passing away. And it had been years since I'd read what he wrote. And uh, in it, just paraphrased it, he said, I, he said you're giving this. Bible because I know that you'll spend the rest of your life studying and have goals that you'll pursue to do Lord kingdom work. And I just realized that I've been taking it granted the position I have and you know, just getting Yeah. How many years ago was that written? Oh, that was twenty years ago. Wow. Just just a just a page. One, one more person. Somebody else. What's a Carlos moment you had recently? Yes. Well, just a few months ago, my brother died. Um, and he, he found out he had cancer maybe what, close to two years ago. Um, and in the beginning of that process, um, we had a lot of conversations, right? But he was in excruciating pain at the beginning, not so much at the end. Um, but in his pain, like really, really, really bad pain, he 
like would thank God, like thank Him for everything. Wow. Like family, I mean everything. Um, and as I watched it, you know, I felt like, ooh, could I, you know, could I be so grateful, mm. you know, in the midst of what came? But you know, through it all, I am grateful because God showed me that we have some challenges through there, but every step of the way he was making provisions you know and my brother knew that god loved him even though he had cancer i mean cancer was an answer to his prayer because my brother was hard-headed um, <laughs> hard-headed <laughs> um and you know he saw god pulling him out of something um with that and so in it he's like i know god loves me um and so it really did something to my faith because Awesome. And those, those and I hope y'all could hear about our brother having cancer and him being so thankful. And so here's, here's my question for myself and for you is, how many of these moments am I missing? Okay? And, and this is what I love is I now have a small group of men that I meet with every week. And, and basically, at least every two or three weeks, we all ask for Kairos moments. Because often, guys, often it can be that scripture. It can be that, that tragedy. It can be that, that thing that showed up on the news. And, and yet, if, unless I share it with that group of men and they help me process it, I have a tendency to forget it. And so I challenge you to pay more attention. Now let, let's, let's get a couple more shapes in before we leave tonight. Go to the one toward the back, a healthy rhythm in life. And, and this, is, this is really strong. And, and I think it addresses some of the things that we've been talking about already, about our, our busyness and our hurriedness and what we do about it. Let me read John chapter 15. Uh, let me read verses 1 through one through 8. Jesus said, I am the true grapevine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and He prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I've given you. Remain in me, and I'll remain in you. For a branch cannot pr- produce fruit if it's severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. You, when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. Now, as you look at this one, this is the semicircle. And I want you to, to, to think about a few things here. And this is one of the greatest ways that we can, can overcome stress. And, and the idea here is, is that you rest before you work. You don't work and then rest going back to the creation story god creates man on the sixth day the crowning act of of creation then on the seventh day god takes sabbath rest right god rest you see i I figured out that i just live a busy lifestyle and i'm going to be busy okay i can remember finally just having a moment with myself where i said because i was complaining every day about being busy 
And so finally I just said, stop complaining, bud. You are busy. You've always been busy. What else is new? So stop complaining about it. So I figured out, guys, the answer, sometimes we think we're so stressed out, we're so busy. The answer is not to stop being busy or stop doing things. The answer is rhythm. God's not asking you to become some kind of spiritual goof-off. What he's asking you to do is to live your life in a rhythm. So, so God creates man the sixth day, God rests on the seventh day, and man works on the first day. And so God rests on the seventh day, not because he'd worked, God wasn't tired, but God wanted to model something for us. You see, here, here's a, an issue we have in our culture is that we applaud the workaholic. Man, I've not taken a vacation in four years. I love my job. That, that's not good. I mean, you know, taking a break is a part of God's top ten. And so in, in this semicircle, the idea is that you rest before you work. And, and, and Jesus came along, and Jesus talked about this Sabbath concept. Now, Sabbath is not vegging out, okay? It's not taking a day to go watch Netflix. A Sabbath is a gift from God to prepare us for productivity. You know, the Pharisees so perverted the Sabbath that the Sabbath became more of a hassle than a blessing. Which Israel last year, if you go in some of their hotels, even a 20-story hotel, one bank of elevators is called the Sabbath elevators. You know what makes it different? It stops on every floor. Because on the Sabbath day, it would be work for you to push a button. That's how absurd that whole thing got and remains today. And so when Jesus came around, Jesus said, man was not what? Made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. That's God's plan to bless us. And that's what I love about this shape. It's that, it's that rhythm. You rest and you work. And it goes back and forth. And back and forth. So what I've learned and helped me so much is the key to my life being less stressful and more joyful is to establish a good weekly, daily, monthly rhythm in my life. Now let's just go through the the cycle there. First of all, you know, Jesus does give a warning here that unfruitful branches will be cut off. So what he says to us is we must abide. So the beginning of the semicircle on that left side is abiding. The word there means to remain, to make your home with. In fact, if you read those verses, it's mentioned 11 times. It's me arranging my life to spend time with him. That's got to be the beginning of life, is my time with God. And what I found in my quiet time, is something I lost, I missed out on for many years, is I do Bible study prayer, Bible study prayer, Bible study prayer. That's pretty cool. I like that. But there's a missing element. It was meditation. Bible talks an awful lot about meditation. You see, our, our big frustrations about Bible study and prayer is normally we don't remember what we read and we pray the same prayers every day. Meditation changes that. Because I read a scripture, what I've learned to do is read it through a few times, underline what I think God's saying to me. I read a scripture. I spend some time in celebrating, just in, in, in silence, just meditating on what God has said. And then I pray about what God just said to me. It'd be pretty rude for God to speak to me and then me to change the topic. And so what happens then is because I've meditated on it, I actually remember what I studied. 
And because I meditated on it and didn't just run to prayer, I'm actually changing my prayer life. Because I'm responding to the commands of God, the promises of God, things I don't understand in Scripture. I've got, I've got things to talk to God about. So you abide in God, and then off that you go two-thirds way around, and you begin to grow. When you spend time with God, you immediately begin to change. My favorite passage in the New Testament is 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, where Paul compares us to Moses. He said, Moses went up on that mountain. Moses sees God. He walks down the mountain, and they have to veil him. Why? Because the glory is fading. Okay? And he says, in this new covenant, we can meet with God every day, anytime. The glory doesn't fade. It increases. So Paul says, we all with unveiled faces, behold, the Greek word is so good there, we're having a hard, because it says two things. We behold and we reflect are being transformed in the image of Jesus by the Spirit. So the key to spiritual growth, friends, is focusing on Jesus. The, the command there is for you to abide, to focus on Him, His responsibility is to change you. It's just natural. When you hang around people, you start picking up their attitudes, right? There's, there's even some studies out there that say when people stay married over a long period of time, they see each other so much they begin to look like each other, okay? That's not something you go share with your spouse after Pepperdine. They will probably not be encouraged by that. But the idea there is who you're with is who you become. And that's why Jesus says it all starts with abiding. And then I've been grow and, and transformed. And then I go into the work. But you don't just stay there. Here's the, my problem is I would start here, get here, and just stay in the work mode. But the rhythm doesn't work there. You come back through the rhythm, two-thirds back away, and God's pruning you. Why does God prune somebody? That sounds awful. Why does he cut back? He wants there to be more growth. Now, if you watch a vine that's never been cut back, it just gets weaker and weaker and weaker. It becomes so weak it can't even bear the fruit that it produces. And so Jesus says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to abide with me. I want you to grow. I want you to go out and be productive and be fruitful with your life. But life shouldn't stay the same every day and every moment. Then you come back around. Let me give some pruning. And that pruning is going to lead you back to your dependency on me. And you abide in me. And then... You'll swing back around. And so the idea here in this shape is for you to establish a godly rhythm in your life. A rhythm from resting to work, to pruning, to growth, back and forth, back and forth. You see, here's what, I, what we have to recognize in the culture we live in. If you don't set your rhythm, somebody else will. You know, I mean, you, you, you've got if you're like me and I'm sure you are, you've got all kinds of time demands, work, family, recreation, church, you name it. Entertainment. And so. If you just say, OK, I'm just going to sort of live my life naturally. Well, number one, that's a problem anywhere. The natural man's not very spiritual. You, you've got to set this rhythm in a way that God can use it. You know, I grew up listening to preachers say this line, and I thought it was a pretty cool line when I first heard it. 
they would say something like this, I'd rather burn out than rust out any day. Anybody ever heard that? Matt, your daddy ever said that? <laughs> Probably so. But it just, I mean, it's just one of those things. And that's, that's so unhealthy. God didn't want you to burn out or rust out. One of the most convicting lines to me is if, if Satan can't make you bad, he's just going to keep you busy. Because he can do his work that way. So I ask you, if you would, to spend some time trying to develop a rhythm to your life that does away with the arrogance that thinks I can run my life on my own. Anybody have their phone on them and can look up a translation? I'd like somebody to read the message translation, Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 29. I think it sums up what we're trying to say here. Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 29. Anybody got that? Any questions about this, this second shape here? Matthew 11, 28 through 29. In the message. Anybody got it? I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Wow. I love that. The unforced rhythms of grace. So seek to live in those rhythms that will, will bless your life. So, we've talked about the Cairo Circle and learning to listen and learning to hear from God and, and actually for my life to be changed by that breakthrough moment from God. We, we talk about establishing a rhythm in life that's healthy. You're not going to stop being busy. You're not going to stop some days having lots of activities. But you're going to learn to live in rhythm. Learn to start in rest and then work. Not work to rest, but rest to work. We've got a few more minutes. Let's, um, let's hit one more shape and then you'll be out of here for a night. Go, go back to the, the prayer page. It's right by the Cairo Circle. I want to teach you something just really simple about praying the Lord's Prayer. Because again, one of my struggles in life spiritually is that, that too often I just pray the same prayer. And, and when Jesus gave the Lord's Prayer or the model prayer, He gave it to give us an outline, really, the way we pray. And so I don't think He meant for you just to, to recite it all the time, even though I think that's a great practice. But I think He meant for all of us to use that as a way to pray. And so the first part of it, and we we'll just go through this hand, is about relationship. Say relationship with me. It's about relationship. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Well, that, that establishes who God is. God's our Father. Now, that was a radical word, Abba Father, for someone to use in Jesus' day. It establishes intimacy. I heard something the other day really helped me with that. Because some of us, when we hear about Father, that's not a good image. I'm sort of turned off by the image of God being a father figure if you didn't have a very good father, which I find most men didn't. And that's why that second line is there. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy be your name. What that's saying is, you are my father, but you're a father like no other father. You are different. You are holy. So you start off with that relationship. God, we've got a, 
a close relationship and I, I recognize who you are. I'm going to my all-powerful, all-loving Father. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. The second thing you pray about is the rule. Say rule. The rule of God. Okay? What's the first one? What's the, what's the thumb over here? Then you got what? Rule. God, your kingdom come. Where's the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is wherever God rules. When you walk into your home, you need to pray for God's kingdom to come. When you walk in your church, ask for God's kingdom to come. Where you work, for God's kingdom, for God to rule in your marriage. God, I want it to be the way you want it to be. Again, you're still not, you're praying about who God is. You're praying about God's will being done. That's, that's protecting me from my normal selfish prayers where it's give me this. Now, we do get to the third, which is resources. Give us this day our daily bread. It's not wrong to ask God to give you things. So you ask for that. And then you ask about, you know, about forgiveness. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And so you begin to pray about release. Because one of the greatest needs in our culture is for forgiveness. I, I, I don't know that the more, longer I preach, I think this is one of the biggest issues out there. So many of us are caught in bitterness. I want to tell you something I'm just really fired up about. Monday night in Montgomery, we have some people coming from the Emmanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, the reverend coming, it was his wife that was leading the Bible study in the basement of that church when Dylan Roof, the white supremacist, walked in and killed and murdered nine people. And his, his wife was murdered. And then the other person coming is a lady named Polly Shepard who was hiding under a table who he stopped and asked her, have I shot you yet? And she said, no. He said, I'm going to let you live to tell the story. Well, that's pretty crazy, but what was really, really crazy, the national media had to cover this one, is when that church stood up, and those two people were part of it, in that courtroom, and forgave Dylan Roof. Now, what they're calling the night with us is forgiveness is a choice. Our goal is to use it as a great night for racial reconciliation. Just reckon, you know, of all cities in America, Montgomery's pretty historic for some good things, but some pretty awful things. And, and we want to we have some history that night in our city. And, and it can start with forgiveness. And not only though, you know, culturally and systemically, but we also, we just all need forgiveness individually. So first of all, like we talked about earlier, to accept the forgiveness of God. You know, we are to forgive as He forgave us. That's radical forgiveness. And then we are to forgive other people the way He's forgiven us. That's radical forgiveness. And yet so many of us live in unforgiveness and bitterness. I love the old statement is when you're bitter and unforgiving towards someone, it's like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. It kills you. And so that's why Jesus included this as a part of the model prayer. Our Father who art in heaven. It's about relationship. May your kingdom come, your will be done. It's about His rule. Give us this day our daily bread. It's about resources. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. It's about release. And then finally, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It's for, it's for rescue. Because we're living in a world where living for Jesus is so incredibly difficult. And we need God to rescue us. 
I, I love this because if you'll just memorize that on your hand, go with me. What's the first one? Rescue. Release, rescue. Excuse me. I'm teaching. I'm blowing it. Relationship, rule, resources, release, and rescue. You can use that shape just riding down the road, and that can be a breakthrough in your prayer life. I want to thank you all so much for being here tonight. Tomorrow night, we're going to hit some of the other shapes. I especially am excited about talking about some relationship shapes tomorrow night. This person of peace, I think, for outreach is a major, major concept. They'll change the way you reach out to people in the name of the Lord. And the building blocks about encouragement. One of the greatest gifts God's given us that I see us not use much is the gift of encouragement. We're chintzy with it. And we'll talk tomorrow night about how we can grow in that. So let's pray together. And um, again, thank you for being here so late. Lord, we thank you, uh, God, for being with us on this mountain. God, for the things that we get to experience. And yet, Lord, we know, because we've done it before, we've been to Pepperdine, we've been to many lectureships and retreats and all kinds of things where we walk away so convicted but aren't changed. And so, Lord, I pray that some of these tools that we're learning for, for spiritual breakthrough, God, we, we're tired of being the same people. We're tired of making the same mistakes. We're tired of living the same way over and over again. When your will for us is is to slowly but surely transform us into the image of Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray for, for these tools. God, I pray that we will learn to recognize that Kairos moment and we will stop and slow down and live in that moment long enough to learn what you're trying to say to us. I pray, Father, in this hectic world that we would learn to live in rhythm. It, it seems, Father, we either go to the extreme of of just being workaholics or doing nothing, where that's not what you've called us to do, Lord. You've called us to abide in you, to rest in you, so that we can be so productive for you. But not to stay there where we burn out, to swing back to that place of abiding. So God, I pray, God, that our prayer life will be changed as we learn about this model prayer and that we'll learn to follow it, God. And we won't just pray the same things every day. But you'll lead us in that. Father, we all need those breakthrough moments. Those moments where we bust through the enemy lines. And we go toward victory. And I pray, God, that these are some simple, almost seem like silly tools. But yet, I know in my life they've been powerful. So I'm praying, God, right now specifically as we leave. In the next 24 hours before this, this event is over, that you will give us some Kairos moment that will change us. We pray in the name of the one who makes this all possible, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. Thank you guys for being here. You did a good job staying awake.